Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he is a guitarist and bassist who has performed with the likes of Dope, Murder Dolls, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Amen, Trashlight Vision, and the Dark Party. And he is also the co-founder of Catfight Coffee, AC Slade. How are you doing today, AC? What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I uh, checked my mail this afternoon and I had this in there. So uh, having a pretty good day overall. Oh, nice. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love the uh, the extent that you all have gone to with the packaging, too, because like the envelope has the logo on it. There's like this fantastic tissue paper that it's wrapped in. It's an amazing presentation altogether. Thank you. You know, it, it's funny when you asked me how my day was, it was like, a day of roadblocks with all those things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, you know, the truth is it's like real easy to phone it in with, 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 with some things or to just put your name on something and all that jazz. But, you know, we, we don't do that. You know, we, 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 we try to make everything thought out every step along the way. So thank you for acknowledging that. Cause I kind of needed to hear that today. Yeah, you know, I think that like all of that ultimately matters in the overall package of things because it's like um, it extends even to music like the as, as much as people don't want to think about like the image, you know, mattering as much in the product, it does. No, absolutely. And it's funny you should say that because I guess I'll just call it out. Um, you know, Rancid's my favorite band, probably like probably overall. And uh, the, they have a record called the 2000 record that just has a skull and crossbones on the front. And it's probably my least favorite record of theirs. And a friend and I were discussing it. It's like, man, that, that band's catalog is just so spot on. It's like, yeah, but that 2000 record's a little. And my friend turned to me and he goes, yeah, but I knew that before I even put it on play. I'm like, well, how did you know? And he goes, well, look, if they didn't put any thought into the album cover, what's to make me think that they put any thought into the music? And I was like, and that stuck with me. Like, I mean, I was already that way anyway, but you know, this, this wasn't somebody who paid attention to like, he's kind of a crust punk dude. And so for him to kind of put that in there, like I, I think about that with everything I do now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's even one of those things that um, it's something I've always kind of appreciated about dope because Edsel, I think has always been very conscious of how, uh, the band is presented and the overall image around it. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's why we still work together after all these years, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I can remember in the early days, uh, you all kind of had like the, the thing where everyone in the band all had dreadlocks. Yeah. Uh, and there was actually like, there was a month when I was in high school that I had dreadlocks because of that. And then I was just like, this is way more trouble than I thought it was going to be. And I shaved them off. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah so uh this year is the uh 20th anniversary of the uh second album life 
which saw you transition from bass over to guitar uh, mm -hmm. after a couple of lineup changes. Uh, so what was kind of the, the overall like vibe of things uh, heading from felons and revolutionaries into life? I, I was just writing about this on my Patreon. It's really, you know, 2020, going from, uh, well, I guess that would have been 99, uh, in, into 2000, into 2001. God, I feel like it's been this time vortex, but uh, going from 2000 into 2001, it was really, um, man, it was a really weird time because we had a lineup change going into our second record. And that always looks a little weird uh, as far as the uh, continuity of a band, you know? And, but the guys that we got in, we, we felt very strongly about and we felt were really good. And we went to LA and we recorded the record with the producer who did the corn record, the Lincoln Park record. And overall, like we went from like, not, uh, not second, we, we, we weren't second guessing the lineup change at all, but just kind of second guessing like how it could be perceived. Um, and then going and doing the record, feeling good about the record. We were all set. We were ready to go on tour. And then 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, I don't know if you remember this or not, but like radio stations and video channels were banning anything that talked about flying, you know? And so we did a video for the song Now or Never. And in it, we're playing like in this glass cage. And then the fans like jump through the glass cage and then they start rocking out with us. It's a very positive thing. Uh, but because it showed people jumping through glass, the video got banned right away. Uh, so, and at that time, your video was your marketing tool. It was your, your, your calling card for the album. And we had it yanked right out from under us. And we were like, oh, this is not good. So we went from, from you know, feeling really good, feeling very strong, and then just having everything pulled out from under us. And it is kind of funny because I, I, I put the record on on the 20th anniversary of the release date and listened to it. And it was kind of funny because there's some lyrics in there and topics in, in, in the album that were almost like prophetic in a way, not, not calling out soul a prophet at all. I don't want to go to that guy's head, but... Uh, <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, it was like almost like a foreshadowing. So it was a weird, really weird time, you know, and to add that, right. And, and here's the, the, the other part of it. That's, that's really strange. We ended up getting dropped and we ended up getting dropped because the record didn't perform and the record didn't per perform. And the record company at that point says, Hey, we don't believe in this project anymore. There's nothing worthwhile here. So we're walking away. Right. That's effectively what they're saying when they drop you. Here we are 20 years later. And die motherfucker die has I got I, I checked it was it a million and a half plays. I forget how many. No, it's more than that. I think it's let me pull this up right now because I want to make sure I'm right because I'm proud of this. <laughs> there we go. So die motherfucker die. From the band that they thought was uh being dropped it's like that the, the they elected to drop ended up with uh yeah i think it's uh 150 million plays or some shit yeah yeah i mean i know people who still um uh love that song i mean it's that that whole album i think has um 
it's one of the strongest albums in the dope catalog. Thank you. Yeah. Just from like beginning to end, uh, it's, it feels like an evolutionary step up from felons and revolutionaries. And it's kind of like, I think of it as kind of like the definitive dope album because I never really kind of lumped you guys into like the whole new metal thing that was going on at the time. Cause comparatively you guys had like, there was kind of like a sleaziness to it that a lot of the other bands didn't have. And it was almost kind of like gutter glam, you know? Yeah. We were, we were still a rock and roll band at the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the guitars were more interesting than, uh, than a lot of the other bands that were out at the time. And you kind of tell that, um, I don't want to like put the other bands in that genre down, but like, it felt like there's a little bit more musicality, you know? Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, especially on that second record, because Virus and and Racy really brought brought a lot of that to the table. I also think that that uh, the uh, No Regrets record is is really really good too. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, and I had nothing to do yeah. with that record. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one to me kind of feels um almost like it's almost kind of like a metalcore record. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, it goes there, goes there a little bit. Yeah, but that's um that also just kind of goes back to uh, how smart Edsel is overall with just kind of understanding the direction that everything was going. Sure. But um, yeah, so one of the things I've always wondered about life is that in the liner notes, there's a page for the lyrics for Another Day Goes By, but it doesn't appear on that album it's not until like the third album group therapy that that song actually gets used. So I've always kind of wondered if that was originally planned to be on life or, uh, you know, what happened with that? You stumped me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish I had an answer for that. I, I don't have one. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> but that's funny. I, I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, I don't know. Like th- this is just me, me guessing. I don't know, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, like life was definitely more melodic than felons and revolutionaries. I, I don't know, and and that's a very melodic song. So I don't know if there's somewhere a decision of like, okay, like we we have now or never, and we have uh, Jenny's crying and uh, a bunch of the other songs that are on there. So I don't know if it was like like let's let's pump the brakes on the melodicness. You might get some special guest cats here, by the way. <laughs> oh, man, they're totally welcome to show up. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it really kind of fits uh, overall with the coffee brand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of, uh, of Catfight Coffee, how did that come about? Like, what led you to co-found a, a coffee company? Um, a couple things. I had uh, started another company a coffee company about a year or two before and it just didn't work out with my partners and you know it's 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 it was great timing how everything worked out uh didn't work out with my partners i knew i had to part ways with them and uh that was right when when covid kicked off so my wife who's my my business partner you know we needed to do something to survive i mean i dude i mean touring is still affected to this day 
by all that. You know, there's touring stuff that I'm supposed to do in the early part of next year that that may end up not happening because of COVID things, and it's nobody's fault, but it's very uh, frustrating. So, uh, yeah, so I always had a love for coffee. Um, I mean, literally ever since I was a kid, I loved coffee. And uh, I feel so lucky to have a, a, a second uh, love that I can, you know, get out there to the world and share with people and they seem to enjoy it. So, uh, and I also saw like that, like there's a market for something that like, you know, it seemed like any of the coffee that was marketed towards people, alternative people, it was real low quality coffee that had like a super high caffeine rate. It didn't necessarily taste good. And, um, and I felt like they were missing the mark on branding too, uh, and packaging. So, um, we felt like we could create a coffee company that wasn't just a coffee company, but it was a community, you know? So every week we do community live streams with people. We're very involved in, uh, the, the local, punk rock flea market community. We're really big on supporting local vendors. I'm fortunate that I have a platform to exploit all that on and that I can really help other companies out, you know, sometimes like not for nothing, but sometimes it's tough for some small companies because they're all small companies and they're trying to help each other, but they don't really have much of a reach. And I do because of the bands. So it really works out good. And, I, and it makes me feel really good to, to help other people out and see it reciprocated and just knowing that I'm getting good coffee out there to people. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I noticed, uh, just aside from how great this coffee tastes, like I'm drinking the the black pumpkin right now, and just like the the pumpkin flavor of it really kind of shines through. And I'm uh, cool. looking forward to like pairing this with the pumpkin bread that I usually make around this time of the year. But uh, one of the things that I noticed when I was ordering too is that you all have a really strong merch game alongside just the coffee. Oh, thank you. Well, we, uh, that, that's kind of where we hope to see it go, you know, like we kind of hope, hope to see it be, a, uh, the merch be kind of part of it too. Like we see it as, as, as a lifestyle and at the core of it is coffee. You know what I mean? That's what brings everybody together. That's what pulls the whole thing in and ties the room together. But yeah. Th and thank you for saying that about the merch. Cause we work really hard on it. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that really ties back to the the music business, too, is that um, if you look at like every band that's been successful and had longevity, they've had a really successful merch game alongside their music. And it's almost like to be successful now, your band has to basically become a lifestyle brand. And it's kind of like mm. this mold that uh, I guess Kiss created. Yes. Yeah, it's it, Kiss and... God, who I mean, Kiss are the kings of it, obviously. Um, but yeah, you're right. And uh, yeah, I guess part of that too just comes from like, you know, to your point, the bands I've always played in have always been visually strong. And so I just kind of think of, I think of each coffee that we put out as an album. And I think of it as something that people would want to put on their shelf and be like, yeah, that's, that's, that's my, my coffee, almost like we used to do with albums, you know? So I know you're a, you're a big monster cereals guy. Uh, have you ever thought about hitting up general mills about doing like a count chocolate? Yeah, well, we did. And their, their, their reply was, unfortunately we've had to downscale our staff right now. So we can't afford to talk to smaller 
businesses. It's like, hold on. If you're downscaling your staff, that means you're not doing good financially, you know? And I'm coming to you telling you that I want to give you money because you have to pay a royalty. So I'm coming to you with an idea on how to give you some money. And you're saying we can't be bothered because we don't have enough staff to deal with it. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, dude, if you, if you did that, uh, would you also do coffees that were themed after the other monster cereals too? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd want, I'd, I'd want to do uh Frankenberry and, and Booberry and Count Chocula too. I don't, I'd, I'd probably skip fruit root, you know, yeah. not too many people remember him anyway, but, uh, no. And, and in fact, I'm going to hit him back up again in a few months. Cause I know who the contact is now. Um, I wouldn't want to do it till probably closer to fall anyway. So, uh, I'm going to hit him up again in six months. Be like, look, there's money on the table that I want to give you. Um, let's do it. You know, cause for me, everything has got to be officially licensed. If it's not officially licensed, like I see both sides to it. Like as an artist, it's like, I've had my shit bootlegged and that fucking sucks. And then on the other side of it too, it's like with a lot of bootleg stuff, there's no quality control. So with certain franchises that have kind of been abandoned, there's all these shitty bootlegs out there that nobody has any quality control over. So, uh, so I see both sides to it. Then there also is a third side where people make some fucking awesome bootlegs. <laughs> and then it's like, shit, you know? When I was in the Murder Dolls, we, we used to bootleg the bootleggers. Like we, we, would, <laughs> we, we would see a bootleg shirt and we'd be like, uh, you know, we'd be like, oh man, that's bullshit. Well, fuck it, we'll make it, you know? <laughs> so uh, I noticed that you left out Fruity Yummy Mummy. Uh, was that purposefully? Oh, or, uh... I forgot. No, I forgot about I forgot about Yummy Mummy. I forgot about it. He's him. underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if I could get a box of it now, I probably wouldn't need it because it's probably not too good. So, <laughs> you know, um, if you did the Frankenberry coffee, would you try to figure out what dye to put in it to produce the Frankenberry stool? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 we try to keep everything as, as uh, natural as we can. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, it's one of my favorite, like, weird random facts is that Frankenberry has a medical condition named after it because it turned a bunch of kids poop pink and scared the shit out of their parents. <laughs> Dude, I, I went on a, on a, uh, a fat, like a juice fast and um, it included a lot of beet juice and I didn't know beet juice would come out the other end. And uh, I was, I was about to, I completely forgot about this. I was about to do a show. And I took a dump and I, I looked and the bowl was red. And I was like, what the fuck, man? You know, I was like, what? Like, look, I'm shitting all this blood, you know? And dude, I, I did like, the no, same dude, thing. You with just beet drank a lot a of beet years juice. ago. What's that? <laughs> I had the same thing happen with beet juice a couple years ago. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know either. <laughs> dude, your shirt's awesome. Who made that? Oh, yeah, I got this at the uh, Museum of the Weird in Austin. And okay. uh, yeah, I'm like, uh, this is fucking gross, but like, I, I've only worn it like five times. And I've never washed it because yeah. I'm afraid of like, just breaking the, the screen printing up on it because it's yeah. like the old school printing where it's, uh, just kind of painted on instead of, uh, now everyone kind of sublimates things so that it doesn't yeah. do that so much. Yeah. Don't dry it. That's the key. Let it air dry. Oh, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, because that plastisol, like it starts to crack and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's one of my favorite like horror shirts that I've had. What, what's at the bottom? Like the, Let me see what you so got. So it's on. Uh, Nosferatu, and it's got like the German uh, Phantom der Nacht. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite interpretations of Dracula, just because it's so creepy and weird looking. And totally. uh, you can put like my favorite thing to do with the original like black and white silent one is to play it and put electric wizard over top of it because like just the vibe matches perfectly cool yeah maybe you're gonna find out that they sync up and you're gonna enter some sort of psychedelic portal you know? <laughs> you're gonna find out that, that that watching uh nosferatu while listening to electric wizard is the the cure for asperger's you know <laughs> i mean maybe i don't uh <laughs> I don't think I have Asperger's, so I don't know if I've, I've got like a good uh, control study. For Maybe that. you don't have Asperger's because you watched Nosferatu listening to Electric <laughs> Wizard. Maybe you did. Maybe you cured yourself. <laughs> we'll never know now. Yeah, I mean, this uh, this would be <laughs> the great medical oddity of our time. <laughs> hey, man, fucking Frankenberry's got a stool named after him. Weirder things have happened. <laughs> One of the other uh, really visually strong bands that you've been in is the Murder Dolls. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's coming up on, I guess, the 20th anniversary of Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls next year. Yes. Uh, you joined that band after uh, their previous guitarist, Trip Eisen, had left. Uh, so I've always kind of wondered, like, they, they re-released the album with new tracks uh, added on later on. Did you play on the tracks that were added? No, that was all Joey and Wednesday. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, because I uh, I never knew if you had played on those or if you had uh, basically like exclusively been a live member. No, we what we were uh, we were on break between tours. They kind of threw that together. We uh, we knew that we were going to do the cover of White Wedding, and Joey, you know, can play everything, and he's just the master musician, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that dude was super talented. Uh, just from his time in Slipknot. He uh, was one of their like core handful of like songwriters in that band. There's like maybe like I think three or four guys in that band that wrote most of the music. Yeah, I mean mo most of it was Joey and Paul. Um, yeah. And and uh, yeah, he he's very under. People don't don't really talk about what a great songwriter Joey was because he was such a ferocious drummer, you know. Uh, but they forget that like. Um, you know, a lot of Slipknot hits. He he was a big part of the writing process for. He he wrote half the Murder Dolls stuff, and then if you listen to that Roadrunner United record, um, the versatility really shines through in in his ability to write. You know, he's got like extreme metal stuff in there, and then he's got radio hit type stuff in there as well. So yeah, he really he was very versatile. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and the, good at it, you know. Yeah, yeah, just his his approach to drumming uh, on its own, I think, was kind of a gateway for a whole generation, uh, exposing them to you know like death metal and things like that, because he brought that influence into what Slipknot did. Yeah, he he was like like uh, that generation's Tommy Lee, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I've always thought because you know he was just a, a consummate showman behind this mm -hmm. kit. 
totally. Yeah, no. And behind the guitar. Yeah. Uh, before you joined the Murder Dolls, uh, were you ever a fan of uh, Wednesday's previous band, the Frankenstein Drag Queens? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, it, it, it's weird how it all works together. You know, um, I had had a band called Vampire Love Dolls, and we did shows with Frankenstein Drag Queens. Uh, we did one, sh- one, one show together, but we were on each other's radars. And actually, when we were um, looking at members to come into Dope, for the life record Wednesday was one of the guys whose whose names was brought up and that kind of made me dive back into that F Frankenstein drag Queens catalog and really, really reappreciate it, you know? And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've always thought the world of Wednesday as an entertainer, as a performer and everything. And, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, I, I always knew about him. And in fact, I mean, I even mentioned, you know, not to take credit for it because Wednesday deserves 100% of the credit for everything that he's done. But when we were talking about it, Trip was still around because we were talking about moving me to guitar and bringing in a bass player. Who could we get? And if you look on the inside of the life record, I'm wearing a Frankenstein Drag Queens t-shirt in some of the photos. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think, you know, it all, it all, it was all like one incestuous pool sort of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've always really kind of appreciated, uh, that Wednesday kind of has this vibe, uh, to what he does where it's like, if Alice Cooper and like a glam metal guitarist had a bastard kid and that kid was raised on nothing but like, the Ramones and Slayer and horror movies. Yeah. Like it, it, that's like kind of the vibe that he has. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, And you played in a solo band for a little bit too, right? Yeah, I did. uh, I did a U.S. tour and I did a European tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How was, uh, how was that compared to the murder dolls? Oh, it was very different. Very different. Yeah. I mean, the murder dolls were, uh, were more of a, a band, you know, even though Joey and Wednesday were the ones, you know, that were, were the primary force behind it. Uh, we were, were definitely more of a, of a band and we were a bit, we were like five fingers on a fist with the murder dolls and, uh, Wednesday's band, it, it wasn't as much that way. And it was definitely more about the horror component and less about the, uh, pissed off sleaze. Fuck you that the murder dolls had. Um, so it's just just different, you know. But he he's always, you know, delivered a hundred percent. I mean, one thing he, that I that I can't say enough about Wednesday is he always brings it. His voice always sounds great. Um, I've never heard him have a bad night singing. Yeah, yeah, and like he he has like that crazy like high scream too. I don't yeah. understand how his vocal cords hold up. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. And um, so. One of the other things that that I was kind of thinking about going into this is just uh, in light of you having played for uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts uh, for several years, was that kind of like a surreal experience to to be part of that band at like the like comparably the, the just like the insane level of of like stardom that that she has, you know? Yeah. Uh- 
Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was really awesome, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but you know, I mean, every every gig that you do has its challenges, and I just heard somebody say not too long ago that every gig that you have is really an audition for your next gig. And in hindsight, that's that's really what that that band was. I mean, it was hard. Uh, you know, the the first day I walked in, our our sound guy goes to me he goes uh this is day one right he goes up oh, here comes bass player number 472 and and i said i forget what i said i said something to the effect of like uh like yeah well maybe the auditions that may, maybe i'm the one that stops the train or whatever you know maybe i'm the one that maybe it maybe it ends here or something kind of trying to be friendly a little bit and he's like he's like don't doubt it don't get comfortable because you're gonna you won't be here long and i was like and this is my first day you know and there was a, a lot of stuff that was really challenging about that gig, but, you know, everybody's a teacher, you know, Joan was a great teacher and, uh, the whole experience was very educational and sure enough, man, I stayed in the band for, for five, six years. And I was there at a, a really good time to be there too. I mean, you know, we did all the talk, you know, the, the, the TV shows, Oprah, because Oprah was around, uh, Oprah, the tonight show, you name it. We did all the TV shows. We toured South America in a private jet with the Foo Fighters. Like we did, we did everything, you know, and she's still continuing to, to, to go on that upwards trajectory again, you know? So, and you got to remember, man, there, there is a time, you know, she, she, she's had a very good career and that she, she had the runaways, right? She recorded her own album on her own dime, which was the I Love Rock and Roll record. Took it to 27 record companies. 27 record companies said, we don't hear a hit single. So she said, fuck that. I'm putting it out on my own. She put it out on her own. And I Love Rock and Roll has <laughs> become what I Love Rock and Roll is, you know. And then, just like anybody who has a big hit, then it went down. Then all of a sudden, she did Light a Day with Michael J. Fox, and it went back up. And then after that, anything that had anything to do with the 80s was just not cool anymore. And, she, you know, she was playing clubs because it wasn't cool to be Joan Jett for five or 10 years. And she stuck it out, man. She hammered away. She stayed there. I feel I, I'm lucky that I got there at the time where things were starting to go back up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, um, between Ronda Rousey using Bad Reputation uh, I love rock and roll, you know, resurfacing every few years and, yeah. uh, cherry bomb being in like guardians of the galaxy. It's like, there's this whole new generation of people that, that are just continually exposed to her over the yeah. last like decade or so. But C Carrie Underhill did, uh, what was the NF N NFL song? Did she, was it uh bad reputation or I forget the, the one, I think Carrie Underhill did, uh, a song for the NFL. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I can't remember either. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's just one of those things where it's like when you play for someone who is like that much of an icon, uh, how much more particular are they about how everything sounds from beginning to end of the set? I mean, everybody's different, you know. Uh, Joan could be really picky sometimes and other times not as picky, you know. Um, there's so many variables that go into how you, uh, how you, uh, 
you know, feel a show went, you know, sometimes you can play terrible and the crowd goes freaking crazy and you're just in a good mood and having fun. And, you know, and it's like, uh, that show wasn't that great, but we had a great time, you know, other times it's like, you can play good, but you're having a bad day and the crowd just isn't having it. And it's like, ah, oh, that show sucked, you know? So there's so many variables that can go into it. And yeah, it's, everybody's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So before we started recording, uh, you had mentioned the Adams family, uh, where do you stand on sort of the, the Adams family versus Munsters, uh, spectrum? Oh, I'm more an Adams family guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm more of a, a Munsters person just cause, uh, I grew up watching that with my grandpa all the time. Sure. I was thinking about this last night where it's like, um, just comparatively between Herman Munster and Lily Munster and Gomez Adams and Morticia Adams, it's almost like the, the relationship roles in each of those couples are flip-flopped. Yes. It's, uh, yes. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you can't really compare, uh, like just between, uh, Morticia Adams and Lily Munster, if you're trying to like, say who is like the the better of the two of them there's not a really an apples to apples comparison exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i mean yeah. I, lo I, lo I love both shows uh but uh adam's family was was first i think though but well it's certainly for it was certainly around before his, in a cartoon so yeah yeah because i think the monsters was like uh one network's response to the adam's family or something like that probably probably yeah yeah that's the way it always goes you know yeah there was a there's a story that my grandpa used to tell me all the time about a uh, grandpa monster when i was a kid where uh the actor who played him i don't know why i'm blanking on his Al name Lewis. Right yeah he ran for it was either mayor of new york city or governor of new york and a reporter asked him at one point what his platform was and he just looks at the guy totally straight faced and goes solid oak <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you had done motion capture for rock band two, uh, for, you know, one of the guitarists in the game. What was that experience like, uh, just coming in as a, a musician to do that? Well, kind of funny story around that. So I, I'm actually, if, you, if, if anybody plays rock band two, uh, I was the guitar player of the rock band and the singer of the punk band and my friend joe letts who's the drummer for the band combi christ he he got he got me the gig and um so i was leaving to go on tour with wednesday for that european wednesday tour that i was doing and uh so we we sorted it all out and i was like well you know what's the pay scale and they're like well it's a thousand a day but you're going to be two different actors so you get two thousand two thousand bucks and I was like, fuck yeah, man, this is awesome, right? And, and all you got to do is they, they put you in a black spandex outfit with these little like Christmas balls all over it. And then uh, you just play air guitar and they would just play like, y you know, all these different songs. I would just play air guitar all day long with a cardboard guitar or lip sync when I was doing the vocal stuff. And, and, uh, and yeah, they would be like, all right, just pretend like you're Paul Stanley. Okay, just pretend like you're Iggy Pop, you know, and and it was fun. It was great. And on the lunch break, I would have lunch with the guy who was the president of the company. And um, 
we would talk and he'd be like, dude, I always wanted to play music and it just didn't work out for me. You know, you're so lucky. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I'm going on tour next week and blah, 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 blah. You know, thinking I'm sort of a big shot, you know, and, and, and like, yeah, you know, you guys are paying me $2,000 to be here, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so the video game comes out. It does so well that that guy I was having lunch with got a $26 million bonus. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I only got two grand. I got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's funny how perception changes shit. I was so happy about that $2,000 till I found out he got 26 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I can remember when that, uh, that game came out, I was still in college and uh, everyone wanted to play it. it. It became like the party game. Yeah. And it's funny, like, I mean, it sold over 8 million copies and, uh, and I'll never forget. I, I went to a picnic or something that, that I was home visiting my mom. Her friend was having a picnic. She's like, will you go along? I was like, yeah. So I went and some kids were playing the game and my mom's like, Oh my God, they're playing that, that game that you're in. And I'm like, well, you can't really tell it's me because they, they put the skins over it, you know? And she's like, oh, let's go watch it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm watching and I could tell it's me. And my mom's like, you kids know that like this, this is that guy. And they look at me and then they look at the character on the game. We look absolutely nothing alike because of the skins. It's all animated. And they're like, go back to playing the game. They didn't give a shit. <laughs> so yeah, um, circling back to dope. Uh, what ended up bringing you back into the fold there? Um. Part of it had to, believe it or not, part of it had to do with, with Dimebag's passing. Um, when Dimebag passed, um, that really was a, I don't know, I guess it was the, the first time any of us sort of dealt with any sort of mortality of musicians that, that, that we knew or could see how it would affect you. You know what I mean? And, you know, Etzel and I just talked and, and we ironed things out and we ironed things out and then we didn't talk for a while, you know, not because we weren't talking. We just were busy with our lives. I was playing with Joan and I think part of it was he, he, he saw that he respected the hard work that I put in, that I was able to continue playing music at a really high level. And, uh, you know, we, we, we would just talk from time to time. And then at one point he was like, Hey man, I got these shows coming up and, and virus can't play guitar. Can you, can you do these three shows? I was like, man, I'd love to do that. You know, that would be cool. So I, I just filled in for those three shows and now I'm sucked back in, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it's always with the understanding that like, he, he's awesome. You know, if I have a misfits gig come up or if I have a, uh, there's another band that I'm playing with right now that, that I haven't revealed yet. Um, if I have gigs with them, he's always like, Hey man, like if you have something that's a, that's a bigger thing come up, just let me know. And I, and I'll find somebody to, to, to fill your spot. Just give me notice, you know? So it's been great, man. It's big. I just got done doing, um, four music videos for the new record. And so it's pretty exciting because my schedule, I think is going to be clear for next year. And it's kind of the first time that we've done, music videos for an album and a photo shoot for an album where the band that's in the videos is going to be the band that's going to be on the tour. So it feels really good. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
I had talked to Matt Zane a little bit about uh, filming one of those music videos. Did he do all yeah. four of them? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so what what can you tell us about the the new album uh, that's Nothing. coming out? I don't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Etzel recorded an album. That's what I can tell you about it. <laughs> and it's good. How's that? That's yeah. about all I know. Uh, you know, I mean, it's always tough because you know. Etzel writes and records everything, and uh, it, it's always tough or weird to speak for for the artist who did it. But what I can tell you is that the the the, the songs that I've heard are great. I really like it a lot. Um, it, it's probably a little more versatile than uh, the last record, than Blood Money, and uh, it's cool, man. It's really cool. Etzel doesn't put out garbage, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always uh, forget that he's a multi instrumentalist, but uh, I, I guess he's uh, he sat in as a session drummer for a few bands before too. Yeah, and and not only that, but uh, with Virus too. Like Virus is his right hand guy, and you know that's the downside. You know, the thing is, is with the freedom that he gives me to play in other bands, uh, he he's like, yeah, but if you're not going to make a commitment to it, then I'm going to play on the record, or I'm going to hire other people to play on the record. Nothing personal, but you know that's i gotta do what i gotta do so it's totally cool yeah i don't want to take up too much more of your time i know you're a busy guy but uh, cool. is there anything else you want to plug nah man just cat fight coffee uh please if you love coffee it's really really good quality coffee we don't we try not to keep anything on the shelf for more than uh two weeks you know if you go to whole foods you'll find coffee that's been on the shelf for three months which is okay it's still it's, it hasn't gone bad at that point but there's a freshness level that, that we really strive to achieve that uh, other companies just can't, can't do. And uh, yeah, check that out. And I got my Patreon, which is a, a, a VIP behind the scenes uh, backstage pass to my life and, and all, all my different bands that I play in. And I'm really excited for, for when I can announce the projects that I have for next year, but I can't get into it quite yet. So yeah, just check out my Patreon. That's AC Slade and check out Catfight Coffee. Yeah, and I'll be sure to include links in the uh, bio on the YouTube version of this too. Oh, that would be great. And thank you so much, Roger. Like these things, you know, go a long way. They're, they're, they're very helpful. Yeah, thank you for taking the time today, AC. Yeah, absolutely. Got to talk about my favorite subjects, coffee and me. <laughs> <laughs>